I would like to introduce Denise King, who uh, has uh, a poster presentation about the virtual reality learning environment. And could you please uh, present yourself? Yes, um, I'm Denise King. I work for Bournemouth University. I'm a registered midwife, registered midwifery teacher, a public health practitioner, and a postgraduate researcher. I'm really grateful to you for accepting my poster abstract and inviting me to talk today. Thank you. And could you uh, tell me a brief bit about yourself? Um... Well, uh, do you mean me personally or the, the project? Yeah, yeah in, in relation to what you're doing. So I'm a postgraduate researcher. I'm quite lucky because um, my doctorate actually allows me to expand on, on stuff that I already do for work, which is really quite refreshing. And it's nice to be able to do some in-depth research on on things that are, are useful to the students I teach. Great. And uh, what is the topic for the poster? Could you... So the poster is about the virtual reality learning environments that I've developed, um, which allow our students to have uh, clinical experiences that we couldn't otherwise guarantee. And could you tell us a bit, a bit more about that? And maybe you could explain what, what the, the poster is, is showing as well. Okay, so the poster itself is showing um, how um, there's a fusion between research, uh, practice, and education, um, and particularly in respect of, of these virtual reality learning environments where students can go in and practice clinical um, skills, which vary from hard skills, you know, the actual doing of tasks, to the more intuitive aspects of, of clinical practice, um, listening to people, and good communication, and and uh, paying attention to what you're observing and, and, and you know, forming that clinical picture from things that aren't always said, but sometimes what we see or what, you know, we hear in other ways um, rather than just what people are telling us. Mm -hmm. And then the students can use that as often as they want, uh, as many times as they feel is useful for them until they feel they have the confidence or, or the, the in-depth knowledge um, with the clinical skills. For example, we have ones for postpartum hemorrhage, urinalysis, um, safeguarding, and um, particularly at the moment because of the COVID pandemic, our students aren't able to go into clinical practice. And so they're having purely theory-based learning at the moment. And whilst that's very important, um, being able to have the clinical experience around that theory um, allows for much deeper learning. Mm -hmm. And so that's where these virtual reality learning environments have very much come into their own. Whereas before it was just an additional tool in their kind of learning package that we were able to offer them. Now it's, it's greatly enhanced their learning because it's allowing them to enter that clinical environment and have those clinical experiences as well. Okay. And how do the students access this uh, virtual reality? The virtual reality learning environments mm, yeah. are, are, are based in the virtual world. So, yeah. or, an extension of reality, I yeah. suppose we should now be really looking at it as, and um, uh, I designed them and uh, wrote the content for them, but they're held um, on a, a specialist education site known as Baden. They're a company that, that specialize in, in building um, virtual learning for mm -hmm. students or offering spaces. So we hold user licenses within their space, their platform, and um, we enroll our students on, enroll our students off, we own the intellectual copyright um, for the actual environments, but they own the assets. So they built the avatars, they mm. built what it looks like inside mm. uh, based on my specifications of, of what I want it to look like. 
So it very much looks like a community clinic or a hospital room or a client's house. Um, and the students are given access to that and then they just log in. It can be an, an app they use on their phone or on their handheld mobile device or actually on their PC or their laptop. And they go in and they can either put their phone into a headset and completely immerse within this virtual environment. Mm -hmm. So they look around, they're actually looking around the client's mm -hmm. house um, or they can simply uh, immerse looking at it as more of a simulation. So looking at it through their tablet screen or their, or their mobile screen or laptop screen, but they still interact with the family. They're still immersed. It's just not as deep of an immersion. So it's, it's what they choose. They kind of control the amount of um, engagement they have. And that is, so they can choose different, different scenarios that they want to train uh, yes. for clinical skills. Yeah. We, we have some control over what we want the students to see. So it will depend on what, what level they're learning at. So our mm -hmm. first year students, I, for example, if we go to stick with safeguarding as our examples for now, um, I wouldn't put them in the more complicated safeguarding uh, environment. I would put them in an early health environment. But what I try to do is, is open their eyes to the fact that actually everything isn't what we immediately see and we need to look beyond what we can see, mm -hmm. beyond what we hear. It's part of so it's so important to our midwifery skills that, that our intuitive practice isn't lost. And for me, that would be a deal breaker with these virtual reality and learning environments. If students began telling me that they didn't feel that they could use that intuitive practice, I wouldn't feel that there was as much value to their learning. And it would be more than just for the hard skills. You do this step, then you do mm. that step, you know, particularly emergency procedures and things like that. But what my research is finding is that they are finding it very valuable for learning how to have the, the, uh, the challenging conversations mm. um, and learning how to look around and kind of see beyond what's immediately obvious. So even in their first year where I'm not throwing them into really um, potentially distressing safeguarding situations. I do put them in a house where, you know, there's mold on the walls and there's wallpaper peeling off and actually there's debris from that perhaps we wouldn't think is appropriate. You know, there's clutter and things mm. like that. Um, and actually, you know, they have to think about their own ideals and their values and, and, mm. and their perceptions of what's acceptable to work through the scenario and actually realize that what this family needs is some early health choices, that it's their choices that, you know, we can offer them, but they must choose it if it's going to be effective. Um, so I've tried as much as I can to make it all encompassing, but of course they have to be guided through it somewhat. So set answers are in there and it isn't always, particularly because several different disciplines of healthcare students have used these environments and some of them said well actually I wouldn't have done that as a paramedic I would have done something slightly different and, mm -hmm. and that that's very valid but mm -hmm. that in itself is also learning and that's one of the important yeah. things that needs to be remembered is that this doesn't replace traditional teaching this mm -hmm. is a complement to traditional teaching and mm -hmm. it um, gives the student an opportunity to learn in their own way but they still need to come back. They still need to have that feedback, that discussion with their peers, the discussion with their, with their teaching colleagues um, in order to have that really rich learning. Mm -hmm. And can the students be in the environment together or? They can. Yeah, yeah. They can be in the environment. They can learn synchronously, so they can mm -hmm. learn together or mm -hmm. they can learn asynchronously. They can learn on their own. Um, they can learn with multidisciplinary um, parts, the members mm. of the team. So paramedics could go with physiotherapists mm. or midwives or nurses or student doctors. 
um, and, and they can all learn and, and work on things. Particularly, uh, for example, the postpartum hemorrhage virtual reality learning environment, we can have every member that we might need for that emergency procedure to reach you know, a, a safe outcome or not depending on what choices they make as they go through the scenario. So they make choices for that. Now I need a doctor. Now I need an anesthesiologist. Yeah, I'm going, to call, I'm going yeah. to call for the support team. Yeah. Who am I yeah. going to call? These are the people I'm going to call. Everybody arrives. So it's not exactly like reality because all of a sudden everybody's just in the room that you've called. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's as close as we can get to reality. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it is the... Sorry. Sorry. No, it, they, they need to have the considerations about who do I need to call in this case. Yes, it's really, yeah. really important yeah. that they think about actually in the real life situation, what would they be doing? Mm. And, you know, so, for example, if you're, you're using ones where the temperature of the room is important, that actually needs to be shown that that's a consideration they've taken. Um, so it does, the nuances are definitely there and the student has to work through it. And the outcome isn't always the best outcome. Sometimes a student makes the wrong choices and, and actually the outcome of the patient um, or, or the client or the mother or the baby, even science actually support people in the room, isn't the ideal. But in that is also learning to be had. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think safe fails, some people call it. And I think actually science, we need to get things wrong to understand yeah. how to get it right. And that's why um, the clients can become quite agitated within the virtual learning environment. So if a student saying something that perhaps is being said in a way that a client thinks is the right way, doesn't mean it's not the best way, but if the client doesn't feel that it's the right way, they will get upset because that's what happens in real life. And this is mm. what we're facing in our clinical practice. Could you tell us a little bit about the, the, why you choose this topic for, for your research? Well, I ch the virtual reality learning environment yeah. or safeguarding within virtual no, reality no, learning No, no, the vir vir virtual reality learning environment. Well, that's a bit of a long story, which started back in 2009 with what was then known as swine flu, but we now know as H1N1. Yeah. And I worked in public health part-time and I worked for Bournemouth University part-time. And I was needed at the time because I was one of the main um, lead cl clinicians within the PCT for the city. Um, so I needed to go work with them full time. So they bought my time out from the university, which meant that everything I taught then couldn't be taught because we were teaching such specialized areas. And I thought, actually, that that was really a shame. And also, what if, you know, I had still been teaching there, but so many students were ill that they couldn't attend how would they then access that learning, which they still needed to access? And that played on my mind for a very long time. Uh, and I worked my way up through it, first developing standalone distance learning units on the web, you know, and moving on and went on to um, apps for um, obesity and weight management and health and well-being. Um, and then eventually arrived at virtual reality learning environments because I was quite interested in what the students were saying about how they wanted to do it when it was right for them, but actually they wanted to be able to interact with people. They wanted it to be quite realistic and true to life. And I thought, I really don't know if that's ever going to be affordable, whether we can, mm. you know, the university didn't have a platform and still doesn't where we could actually host this ourselves. So how is this going to work? And it was quite a useful learning exercise. And again, something that midwives I feel are quite good at doing anyways, which is thinking outside of the box and making use of resources, which aren't immediately obviously resources and um, built it up from there. Um, and the very first one I built was what I would call quite a basic one, looking at just doing some very basic clinical skills. And the students were saying, 
okay, yes, but actually I wanted to do documentation and I wanted to do this, um, you know, aspect of our clinical practice. And I thought, well, there's no reason why I can't pull it all together in one, but I just have to write it so that the developers understand what I'm asking them to do because A, they're not clinicians. Mm. Um, and, and B, it, it's like writing a play. So it's like making clinical practice a three-dimensional scenario. It's not just flat on paper. Um, and so for me, it was, there was a lot of learning that went into it in, in thinking about how I had to communicate what I was asking for in a way that then actually ended up being good teaching for the students as well mm. and good opportunities for learning. Um, and it's not perfect. I'm still learning every time I write the content for one. I, I, uh, and then I, the students use it and they feedback. And, um, you know, as the research goes on, I, I realize more things that need to be done, particularly in respect of making it useful for lots of different healthcare students, not just one discipline, because I think learning should be accessible to so many more um, students. It shouldn't just be fixed just on, you know, midwifery students or nursing students. It should be available because actually what we do could be done by any discipline depending on the situation and I'm also quite keen that the learning can be used globally because you know World Health Organization published last year uh, information saying that actually so many lives could be saved if educators could just access the clinical environments the clinical skills the equipment themselves to then share it with their students um, so that's really where the project's going next is the research has currently been conducted in the UK. I'm just, well, I was just starting to do the research in Australia when COVID pandemic hit. Um, so there's been some challenges with that in that their paramedic students particularly are out in practice at the moment. Um, not out in practice, they're, they're out working. They're not even in practice. Mm. So they, they, although they wanted to take part in the research, they can't at the moment. So, but I will go back to that. And I'm hoping to roll it out to Nepal, which will be very interesting, particularly in thinking about the access they will have to, you know, an app that's online and, and what challenges there will be for that and whether that will work or not for them. What are the key findings uh, you, you have found uh, while you've been doing this uh, project? So I've... I've done research on 222 midwifery physio and paramedic students so far in the UK and Australia. Okay. Eight midwifery lecturers, nine midwives and nurses, and three social workers so far. Um, and what overwhelmingly is coming out is that although there are some technical difficulties, it, it uses a lot of battery power, so they need to have charging cables available and things like that because um, there's sound and lighting and it all has to be quite true to life. So it, it does put a drain on your battery. Um, but otherwise, it, the research is showing that virtual learning environments improve student experience. Um, it reduces demand on teaching resources because a tutor does not need to be present while the students are learning. Um, and also that educational institutions worldwide are then able to provide this access to clinical experiences that couldn't otherwise be guaranteed. So I, I believe, and it's still tentative at the moment because I haven't finished doing my research, that actually virtualized learning environments are, are going to reconfigure healthcare education. Mm. Interesting. Where do you see this research going? At the moment, 
I see the research continuing. So mm. I want to finish the research, go back to the research in Australia, you have a chance to finish that. I really would like to move on to Nepal, but that's just at the moment we're still deciding. Uh, I have a collaboration that started with um, a local uh, healthcare trust in England, and we're looking at doing um, virtual building digital healthcare for patients, for families of patients, and also for staff. So I want to, to work on that. And I also, for the existing virtual learning environments, I would like to have more qualified healthcare professionals use it and test it and see how valuable it is for their learning because they don't necessarily get out and have safeguarding experiences in, in, in clients' mm -hmm. homes because they're hospital-based. And hopefully, ultimately, I would like to see this contributing to national and local policy. Interesting. Thank you very much, Denise King, for your presentation. Thank you very much for interviewing.